Well, are you ready to uh, start back up again? Labor Day weekend. Uh, after being away for an extended period, people ask, well, how are you feeling? I said, well, the best way I can describe it, it's like, um, you know, you know when Grandpa's in the, the slow lane on the 401, driving about 20 kilometers, 25 kilometers slower than everyone else? And he's thinking, what's your hurry? And um, that's how I feel, you know, that's how I felt. And everyone's zipping by, and I feel like after the last couple of weeks, I've, now I'm in the, at least the middle lane. And uh, I think most of us are already either on the fast lane or just about to pick up pace, and we're going to be going 120 kilometers an hour. Oh, you guys don't speed, do you, at all, right? 100, 100 kilometers an hour. And uh, all, everything's about to kick up with school and everything. I want to ask you this question. What, what are you building your life upon? What's really underneath you? What is... What are the things that you're really building and driving towards in your life? Trying to build a good reputation? Trying to build up your resume, your career? Maybe some of us are trying to build up our knowledge. We're heading off to school and we're trying to to get as much as we can packed into our brains. Maybe some of us are trying to, to build relationships. What are you building your life upon? What are the aspirations, the ambitions, the goals that you're having in your life? Furthermore, do you think that what you're building upon is going to last? You spend all week working or going to school and you're building upon something. Heard a story about um, a contractor who built houses, and he was, he was one of those contractors that everybody wanted to go to. He was able to build these beautiful houses, and they were so well done. And uh, apparently this man um, uh, didn't have his own house, even though he had built up uh, these beautiful houses all throughout his town. I guess this happened over in Europe. And um, I always wondered, a contractor like that, you know, how does his wife feel? I must be thinking, you know, Build up everybody else's house, but not mine. You know, I think that they probably uh, struggle through that. So, so this contractor, you know, continued to build houses. And then one day, the richest man in town came to him and said, I want you to build this magnificent house for me. I'm going away, and I want you to spare no expense. And so the contractor agreed to do this. And um, the contractor thought to himself, you know, this man, this, this man already has a number of houses. He doesn't really need another spectacular house. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to build him a nice house that on the outside, it looks, it looks great. It looks wonderful. But I'm going to use some cheaper materials, and I'm going to kind of cut corners a little bit. He'll never notice. And then I'll pocket the money so I can finally build my own house. So he did that. Finally, the, the rich man came back, and he, he inspected the house. He's like, wow, you have really outdone yourself. This is beautiful. And I just want to let you know that I actually had this house built for a friend. A friend who doesn't have a house. And the keys that were given to him by the contractor, he gave right back to the contractor and said, here you go. Here's your house. 
And the contractor is like, this is the house that I've been dreaming of, and yet he knew it wouldn't last. So you can't always tell what your life is built upon by appearances. You may be serving God. You may be um, seeing miracles happen. You may be going to church. You might be uh, studying the Bible, telling others about Jesus. You might be doing these things. You might be fighting evil and injustice. You might be praying. You might be giving money to God. You might be fasting. You might be working hard. You might not have murdered anybody or committed adultery. You might be loving your neighbor. You might be keeping your vows. You might be doing all those things, and yet your house does not last. There's actually only one way to find out whether your house is going to last. Jesus tells us this. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. And we'll read until verse 27. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24 and going through verse 27. Jesus says this. The end of his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell with a great crash. Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. There's only one way to tell whether what you're building upon is going to last. And that's the storms. Storms. Only storms reveal the quality of the work, D.A. Carson says. We might look at somebody's life who's encountering great storms, great difficulties, great trauma in their life, and think, what did they do wrong? Wow, they got some real problems. However, the storm says very little about whether God is pleased with you. I want to remind you today that it's guaranteed that everyone in this room is going to face storms. Every one of you. Maybe some of you today are actually facing a great storm. Why are we so surprised by them then? Why are we so surprised by the storms of life? I think it's simply because all of us think that our house is secure. Our life is okay. We never see the flash floods coming, do we? 
summer, as I told you last week, we were in the desert. We lived part of our, our time away in the desert. We camped in the desert. And um, we were traveling, and we came across this, this uh, uh, I guess it was a national park. And uh, on, in the national park, in the kind of the, the service center, it, it showed what would happen if you decided to camp in a dry riverbed. Here's a, here's a video of what kind of can, can happen here. Nothing, no. Um, <laughs> it's coming up here. It should be. Can we back it up? Back it up. Back, 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 back. Further, further, further. Keep going back. Okay. You know what? Sometimes technology doesn't always work when you... you uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you about it. So if you can get it, just, just put it back... Uh, Oh, that'd be great. What happens is you're just, you're just, you're camped there and nothing's happening for weeks, days, even years. And all of a sudden you look down and you see this water and it starts to flow. And like, oh, that, that's kind of neat. You know, ah, that's, I, I wonder where that came from. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh no, this is getting a little more serious. And the road that we were going to travel upon is, uh, is now, oh, look what happens, right? Flash floods, don't see any rains, sunny sky. And, and this is what happens in the desert. And it just takes everything. Water's so powerful. Water's so powerful. And, and this is what Jesus was saying. You know, these flash floods come, these rains come. And uh, you can see here in the next part that this would actually happen in the desert in Saudi Arabia. And you would see that, see, uh, we saw in the picture just a few minutes ago about these, these, these people, they're, they're out there and their roads have been washed out. And you can see that, that um, you know, look at this. Look how big this river was. Obviously, obviously before, uh, before the rains came and the, the, the flood came, that was, a, that was a perfect road. They didn't maybe expect anything for years. Listen to what Joshua Harris says. The foolish builder didn't know he was foolish. See, we could be building our lives upon things and not realize that there's really not a great foundation. Lots of people have built their house on the sand. Why? Why would anybody build their house on the sand? Sand essentially indicates that water is nearby. Who likes water? Who likes going to the lakes? Who likes going to the ocean? Do you like rivers? Yeah. It's easier. You're really close by. Uh, We used to live in um, a town close to the Mississippi River. And every spring, without fail, uh, the ice would melt and the rains would come. And... There'll be people who'll be living right next to these rivers that flew, flowed into the, the Mississippi. Without fail, they would, they would be flooded out. And they'd have to go by boat into their house. And they did so because they thought it would be more convenient to see the beauty of this river. I mean, we're seeing this this, this week, haven't we? With Hurricane Earl, and now it's become a tropical storm. And all the coastal lands of the United States. What did they have to do? They had to evacuate. Leave everything behind. 
Michael Leavitt, the uh, U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services, made this comment um, after Hurricane Katrina five years ago. He says this, The big lesson I learned from Hurricane Katrina is that we have to be thinking about the unthinkable because sometimes the unthinkable happens. It's pretty hard to do, isn't it? So, what about you? What's your life being built upon? Do you want to withstand the storms of life? See, Proverbs 24, verse 3 says this, A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. So was wisdom and good sense what we really build our life upon? Causes us to withstand the storms? I think Solomon, when he wrote that, he was looking forward to something bigger, that when, when Scripture would be fully revealed, he would help us understand that wisdom and good sense point us to something deeper. In fact, last night I was reading this story in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, to my kids, devotions. And I said, uh, so tell me, kids, well, uh, what does it mean? How do you build your life on the rock? And uh, the kids piped up and said, well, you, you got to have faith. And you know what? That, that's how I always thought that this passage which should be interpreted. That's how I always believed. You've got to have faith. You've got to build your life on the rock. In fact, there was a little song that we used to sing when I was a kid that always reminded me of this. It says, Don't build your house on the sandy land. Don't build it too near the shore. But you're going to have to build it twice. Oh, hold on. I missed it. I had it. Don't, let me try it again. Don't build your house on the sandy land. Don't build it too near the shore. Well, you might build it nice, but you'll have to build it twice, so you'll have to build your house once more. I won't continue. I'll let Lori sometimes sing that. But that's all I thought. It goes on and says you have to build your house upon the rock, right? What does that really mean, to build your house on the rock? Well, if you want to withstand the storms of life, it says really clearly, Jesus makes it clear in verse 24. Did you, did you catch this when I was reading it earlier? It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. It's not just having faith. It's faith into action. Putting these words into practice. Now, what are these words? What are these words? This is at the end of Matthew chapter 7. It's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So let's just look back. Where did the sermon begin? Look at chapter 5. Okay? I'm just going to walk through. I'm not going to read the whole, whole sermon. But um, I'm going to, uh, I want you to catch these things. Okay? Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Here's some of the words that Jesus wants you and I to put into practice. We need to be poor in spirit. That's why it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse 4, we need to mourn. Verse 5, we need to be meek. Verse uh, 5, verse 6, it says that we should hunger and thirst for righteousness. Verse 7, we should be merciful. Verse um, 8, we need to be pure in heart. Uh, Verse 9, we need to, to make peace. Verse 10, we should actually, we're going to be blessed if we're persecuted because of righteousness. We should expect to be persecuted. Um, chapter um, 
you jump down and we see in, um, in verse 13, we need to be salt and light before men. We also need to practice in verses uh, 17 and 20, we need to, to practice and teach God's commands. We're supposed to be teaching them to others. Verses 21 through 22. We're not to be angry with our brother, but instead we're supposed to be reconciled. We find also that um, in verses 25 and 26, that you're supposed to settle matter, matters quickly with your adversary. Then in verses 27 and 30, we're not to lust, but instead we're supposed to cut off anything and throw it away that might tempt us. And then we find in verse 31 through 32, we're not supposed to divorce. Verse 33 through 36, we're not supposed to, um, to make vows and we're supposed to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Verses 38 through 41, it talks about the fact that people harm you, you're supposed to turn the other cheek and give to the one who asks you. And then verse 43 through 48, Jesus says we're supposed to, to love not just our neighbors, but our enemies. And then in chapter 6, Jesus goes on and talks about the fact that we're supposed to, to give to the needy in secret. And we're supposed to pray in secret, verses 5 through 13. And we're supposed to forgive others, verse 14 and 15. Verse 16 through 18, we're supposed to fast in secret. In, um, verses six, in verses 19 through 24, we're supposed to store treasures in heaven and not here on earth. And then in verses 25 through 34, we're not supposed to worry about our lives. We're supposed to trust God that he's going to provide. And then in verses uh, 1 through 6, Jesus goes and says, you know what, we're not supposed to judge. In fact, the same measure you, measure, the same measure you use will be measured unto you. And then we find in verses 7 through um, 12 that we're supposed to, to ask God for things and keep on asking for good gifts. And in verses 13 and 14, we're supposed to choose the narrow path the few take. And then finally in verses 15 through 23, we're supposed to watch out for false prophets, false teachers. And we're supposed to inspect the fruit of people's lives. There's quite a few things there, isn't there? These are the words that Jesus said we're supposed to put into practice. Now notice that Jesus didn't, didn't say, study these words. Memorize these words. He could have said that. What does he say? He says, put them into practice. In fact, we will never understand these words unless we do them. In other words, we need to dig now in order to strengthen us later. We must prepare for the impending storms that are about to come. So how do you do that? Let's just take an example. Uh, you don't start praying when the bad stuff comes, when the storms come. Did you realize that you need to already be prayed up when these difficulties in your life arise? Do you realize that you're not supposed to mourn just when all of a sudden your, your loved one dies? That you're actually supposed to be mourning with others, with strangers, with difficulty, who are, who are, who are suffering, who have experienced what the Bible calls an enemy, which is death? We're supposed to mourn with them. We're supposed to be fast. 
We're supposed to be already fasting, not just in the middle of a crisis and say, oh God, please help us. We're supposed to be fasting. We're supposed to be doing these things and putting them into practice. That's what the foundation is. That's the rock. Now, somebody say, well, John, are we teaching that you just have to do all these things and you're going to be saved? Uh, Notice these actions come from a heart already in tune with God. Already come, you're already, in a sense, not trying to keep these rules. These rules are they're not so much rules, they're actually spirit-born. They're, they're heart-driven actions. Your heart has already been changed. See, I can't just love my enemy unless already God's helping me with this. We work in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. But we, we do so putting these words into practice. Now, the Jews listening to Jesus, as soon as he talks about the fact that if you put these words of mine into practice, it's like a man who built his house upon a rock. All of a sudden, rock would reverberate in their minds. Because they heard rock all the time. As they would worship God, and they would read the Old Testament, and they'd hear the Old Testament um, read to them, Rock was a theme throughout the Old Testament. 31 times the word rock is used to describe God, who he is. We find um, five times in Deuteronomy 32, four times in 2 Samuel 22, one time in 2 Samuel 23. You can check all these things out for yourself. 16 times in the Psalms. I just want to pause there. I was telling some people that a while back, um, I found in my, in my ministry that I was starting to get numb to some of people's pain. And I realized that, um, you know, I, I have to be able to deal with some of the crises that come, come my way. And I have to be that solid rock for people. But instead, what God has told me is, instead of, you know, becoming numb to people's pain, I need to fully embrace that and let that, that pain be brought back to God. And so how I did that specifically was I started reading the Psalms. I read about um, some great Christians who read, read the Psalms, five Psalms a day. And they were able to communicate and fully express their feelings to God. So I started to do that. And uh, wow, the Psalms have become alive to me. And I've been able to express those things to God. And all of a sudden, the numbness of life which many of us try to fill with so many things, other things, video games, next exciting thing. In fact, there's a book by Archibald Hart called Thrilled to Death, saying we're killing ourselves trying to to find pleasure in other things. And in my life, that numbness um, has started to go away. I'm starting to feel again. Just by by praying these psalms to, to God, who's the rock of our salvation. So 31 times. It's in Isaiah four times, once in Habakkuk. And so when the Jews heard this term rock that Jesus used, all of a sudden rock, I heard that in my, I heard that in my scene yesterday and now in, in, uh, in the synagogue. And we need to understand that Jesus was giving a little clue to people and saying, you know what, I'm really the rock. I'm really God. See, the source of a word is always really important. If you think about it, I know that um, in my kids' life, 
uh, if one of their brothers and sisters have done something against them, and they try to, uh, to correct them, try to bring them to righteousness, it usually doesn't go real well. So they have to come to me. And my words seem to carry a lot more weight than their own words. The source of a word always communicates who a person is and their authority. In this case, in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus talks about a rock, he's saying, you know what, I, I am the rock of salvation. And so therefore, because my life, I am God, therefore you need to, to take my words very seriously and put them into practice. Verses 28 and 29, we find that the people recognized that Jesus' words were, were quite a bit different than what they'd been hearing. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. So, brothers and sisters, today, what we need to do is we need to recognize that the words that have been read to you and the words that are given and the scriptures are from God. He's the rock. You need to put your faith in the rock. But you need to take it one more step. You need to put Jesus' words into practice. It's not good enough just to say, Lord, Lord. You're the Lord, God. You're my Savior. You need to put his words into practice. Jesus actually says this in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, verse 48. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Do you want to know the answer to that? Jesus says, you know, Lord, Lord, why do you call me that? Not do what I say. Frankly, brothers and sisters, it's because it's too hard to dig deep. It's backbreaking work to carry everything up to the rock. Why build on the mountains? Why build on the rock? I think I understood this better this, this, this summer. You know, here's what's called switchbacks. And this is actually how you go up a mountain. You have to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's hard. It's a lot easier to build your life on the sand. To not put these words into practice. But to build on the rock, you have to do the hard work. So you can be prepared for the storms of life. And, and the thing is, is it's not just harder to do, put your life, build your life on the rock. The storms are often more violent when you build your life on the rock. Jesus already talked about that. You're going to face greater persecution because as the world hated me, I do. It's harder. When we were up on those mountains, the storms would come. We spent a week up on a mountain and, and the storms would come and they would come so fast and furious. And they'd be so loud with the thunder and the lightning. was so close. And they'd come out of nowhere and the wind would just howl. And then as soon as it came, it always, it always left. It's just as quick. And the rain that came would come rushing down the mountain to the people who built their house on the sand below. And it's become more clear in my mind that it takes a lot of hard work in cooperation with the Holy Spirit to put Jesus' words to practice. And yet, it also explains why those storms up on the mountain, when you built your house on the rock, though they're violent and they're difficult, they seem to pass quicker. 
And it explains also why some, some people, maybe you know them, who've been putting Jesus' words into practice, are able to, to withstand the difficult storms of life. Whereas others aren't able to even handle the little showers. It's because they haven't been putting Jesus' words into practice. Here's the irony. It's much harder to pick up the pieces after the storm than to build your life upon a solid foundation from the beginning. And notice what happens when Jesus says this in verse 27. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with what? A great crash! When I was a kid, I was always told, you know, you might have to rebuild your house against, again if you build your house on the sand. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say that the person was able to rebuild. We've learned from some of the great catastrophic storms of recently that you can't always rebuild. You can't make it better than before. This is why today, today has got to be a day where, where you mark out and say, I have to today start putting Jesus' words into practice. I challenge you, brothers and sisters, to read Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. And ask God to show you what do I need to put into practice. One thing. One thing. Proverbs 12, verse 7 says, The house of the righteous stands firm. What's underneath you? Let's pray. Father God, there's some here today who have not ever put their life on the rock. And uh, I pray that they would realize today that you can be the rock of their salvation. And then everyone in this room, including myself, Lord, we, we need to look again at Jesus' words and say, are we putting into practice the words that you've called us to in cooperation with the Holy Spirit so we can not just withstand the storms of life, but we can endure until the end. Help us to do that, we pray. God's people said, amen. Other ground is sinking sand. Then in this six weeks we were away, we came back home and we had somebody watching over the house. They did a fantastic job. But as we inspected our house, we noticed that oh, this needed taken care of, and there's cobwebs here, and a few weeds over here we need to take care of. Inspect our house. You need to inspect your house, what you're building your life upon. To become your own home inspector. You need to do so by taking God's word, Matthew 5 through 7, saying, Am I putting these into practice? Because I know the storms are going to come. I'm going to sink if I don't. Life's about to get really, really busier for many of you. And if you're not putting these words into practice, when the storms come, you won't be able to survive. To survive, brothers and sisters. We're meant to we're not able to, to conquer. We are victors in Christ. Amen. 
Let's put Jesus' words into practice. Pray. Father, we need, we need you. We need to, uh, to recognize you are the solid rock. We, maybe some of us have been putting our life on a foundation we thought was really good, but we can see now through your spirit that it's not going to last. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to do the right things, Jesus' words, so we might, we might prevail through, through those tremendous storms. Help us to realize that we can be victors. We can have, have life and have it to the full, and we can survive the storms because of your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you.